0: Book One, Chapter Two of Off on a Comet This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox dot Recording by Eric Longman. Off on a Comet by Jules Verne. Translated by Anonymous. Book One, Chapter Two: Captain Servadac and His Orderly. At the time of which I write there might be seen in the registers of the Minister of War the following entry Servadac Hector born at Saint Trelody in the District of Lesvar, Department of the Gironde, july nineteenth, eighteen blank property twelve hundred francs in rentis length of service fourteen years, three months and five days service two years at school at Saint Cyr, two years at La Colle de la Two years in the eighth regiment of the line, two years in the third light cavalry, seven years in Algeria Campaigns, Sudan and Japan Rank Captain on the staff at Mostagnem Decorations, Chevalier of the Legion of Honor, march thirteenth, eighteen blank. Hector Servadac was thirty years of age, an orphan without lineage and almost without means thirsting for glory rather than for gold. Slightly scatterbrained, but warm-hearted, generous, and brave, he was eminently formed to be the protégé of the god of battles. For the first year and a half of his existence he had been the foster-child of the sturdy wife of a vine-dresser of Medoc, a lineal descendant of the heroes of ancient prowess In a word he was one of those individuals whom nature seems to have predestined for remarkable things and around whose cradle have hovered the fairy godmothers of adventure and good luck in appearance hector Servadac was quite the type of an officer he was rather more than five feet six inches high slim and graceful with dark curling hair and mustaches well-formed hands and feet and a clear blue eye he seemed born to please without being conscious of the power he possessed It must be owned and no one was more ready to confess it than himself that his literary attainments were by no means of a high order we don't spin tops is a favorite saying amongst artillery officers indicating that they do not shirk their duty by frivolous pursuits but it must be confessed that Servadac, being naturally idle was very much given to spinning tops his good abilities however and his ready intelligence had carried him successfully through the curriculum of his early career He was a good draftsman, an excellent rider, having thoroughly mastered the successor to the famous Uncle Tom at the riding school of St. Cyr, and in the records of his military service his name had several times been included in the order of the day. The following episode may suffice in certain degree to illustrate his character. Once in action he was leading a detachment of infantry through an entrenchment. They came to a place where the side work of the trench had been so riddled by shell that a portion of it had actually fallen in, leaving an aperture quite unsheltered from the grape-shot that was pouring in thick and fast. The men hesitated. In an instant Servadac mounted the sidework, laid himself down in the gap, and thus filling up the breach by his own body, shouted, March on! And through a storm of shot, not one of which touched the prostrate officer, the troop passed in safety since leaving the military college Servadac, with the exception of his two campaigns in the sudan and japan had always been stationed in algeria he had now a staff appointment at Mostaganem, and had lately been entrusted with some topographical work on the coast between tennis and the shelf it was a matter of little consequence to him that the gorbi in which of necessity he was quartered was uncomfortable and ill-contrived loved the open air, and the independence of his life suited him well. Sometimes he would wander on foot upon the sandy shore, and sometimes he would enjoy a ride along the summit of the cliff, altogether being in no hurry at all to bring his task to an end. His occupation, moreover, was not so engrossing but that he could find leisure for taking a short railway journey once or twice a week, so that he was ever and again putting in an appearance at the general's receptions at Oran and at the fetes given by the governor at Algiers. It was on one of these occasions that he had first met Madame de Lay, the lady to whom he was desirous of dedicating the rondo, the first four lines of which had just seen the light. She was a colonel's widow, young and handsome, very reserved, not to say haughty in her manner, and either indifferent or impervious to the admiration which she inspired. Captain Servadac had not yet ventured to declare his attachment, Of rivals he was well aware he had not a few, and amongst these not the least formidable was the Russian Count Timascheff. and although the young widow was all unconscious of the share she had in the matter, it was she, and she alone, who was the cause of the challenge just given and accepted by her two ardent admirers. During his residence in the Gerby, Hector Servadac's sole companion was his orderly, Ben Zuff. Ben-Zouf was devoted body and soul to his superior officer. His own personal ambition was so entirely absorbed in his master's welfare that it is certain no offer of promotion, even had it been that of aide-de-camp to the governor-general of Algiers, would have induced him to quit that master's service. His name might seem to imply that he was a native of Algeria, but such was by no means the case. His true name was Laurent, he was a native of Montmartre in Paris, and how or why he had obtained his patronomic was one of those anomalies which the most sagacious of etymologists would find hard to explain. Born on the hill of Montmartre, between the Solferino tower and the mill of La Galette, Ben Zuff had ever possessed the most unreserved admiration for his birthplace, and to his eyes the heights and district of Montmartre represented an epitome of all the wonders of the world— in all his travels and these had been not a few he had never beheld scenery which could compete with that of his native home no cathedral not even burgos itself could vie with the church at montmartre its racecourse could well hold its own against that of Pentelique. Its reservoir would throw the Mediterranean into the shade. Its forests had flourished long before the invasion of the Celts, and its very mill produced no ordinary flour, but provided material for cakes of world-wide renown. To crown all, Montmartre boasted a mountain, a veritable mountain. Envious tongues, indeed, might pronounce it little more than a hill, but ben would have allowed himself to be hewn in pieces rather than admit that it was anything less than fifteen thousand feet in height benzouf's most ambitious desire was to induce the captain to go with him and end his days in his much-loved home and so incessantly were Servadac's ears besieged with descriptions of the unparalleled beauties and advantages of this eighteenth arrondissement of paris that he could scarcely hear the name of montmartre without a conscious thrill of aversion Zoof, however did not despair of ultimately converting the captain and meanwhile had resolved never to leave him when a private in the eighth cavalry he had been on the point of quitting the army at twenty-eight years of age but unexpectedly he had been appointed orderly to captain Servadac. side by side they fought in two campaigns Servadac had saved Ben Zouf's life in Japan. Ben Zouf had rendered his master a like service in the Sudan. The bond of union thus effected could never be severed, and although Ben Zouf's achievements had fairly earned him the right of retirement, he firmly declined all honors or any pension that might part him from his superior officer. Two stout arms, an iron constitution, a powerful frame, and an indomitable courage were all loyally devoted to his master's service, and fairly entitled to him to his soi-disant designation of the Rampart of Montmartre. Unlike his master, he made no pretension to any gift of poetic power, but his inexhaustible memory made him a living encyclopedia, and for his stock of anecdotes and troopers' tales he was matchless thoroughly appreciating his servants good qualities captain Servadac endured with imperturbable good-humour these idiosyncrasies which in a less faithful follower would have been intolerable and from time to time he would drop a word of sympathy that served to deepen his subordinate's devotion on one occasion when ben Zoof had mounted his hobby-horse and was indulging in high-flown praises about his beloved eighteenth arrondissement the captain had remarked gravely do you know, Ben Zuff, that Montmartre only requires a matter of some thirteen thousand feet to make it as high as Mont Blanc?" Ben Zuff's eyes glistened with delight, and from that moment Hector Servadac and Montmartre held equal places in his affection. End of book one, chapter two. Recording by Eric Longman, Marietta, Georgia.